Welcome to Broadband Conversations. My name is Jessica Rosenworcel, and I'm a member of the Federal Communications Commission. And this is the podcast where I get to talk to leading women from across the technology, innovation, and media industries. You get to hear what they're working on, what's on their minds, and what they think is the next big thing. And the topic of today's episode, well, you could say it hits pretty close to home for this podcast because we're talking about broadband. So this is truly a broadband conversation. And now more than ever, broadband is critical. It's not a luxury. This is how we connect with each other, how we grow our communities, and how we're going to build our economy for future generations. But far too many of us are being left offline. The latest numbers from the FCC show that 21 million Americans lack broadband access. But Those numbers, I think they could use some work because I think they radically understate the problem. In fact, there are other studies that show over 160 million of us do not access the Internet at broadband speed. So we have a whole bunch of Americans that are at risk of being left behind. And while we're looking at this in Washington, we also have a lot of good people working on this issue in the States. And today I am joined by one of those people, and I'm so excited to have her. I've got Peggy Schaefer, and Peggy is joining us from Maine, where she is the director of a broadband authority in Maine. I want her to tell you more about it, and I'm going to let her tell you about herself and all the work she's done to help lead Maine's efforts to bring connectivity to all. So, Peggy, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, we're going to kick things off. I want you to talk about where you are today, but more importantly, how you got there and how you found that connecting everyone with broadband in Maine was a professional and personal passion. You know, like many people, you have you end up with a sort of not straight path. Um, I actually started uh, doing community organizing for the Girl Scouts, and then was uh, and as a volunteer started to organize um, campaigns. And I ran uh, four successful, well, five successful state state house campaigns, three successful state senate campaigns. And in that process, one of the women that I uh, helped elect became the first woman speaker of the House. And when she became first woman speaker of the House, she brought me into state government. Um, we have term limits in Maine, so I got dumped. At, uh, I from after she was terminated, I went to work for the Department of Economic and Community Development, which was really, as their lobbyist, which was really when I first got to understand the importance of economic development in communities, and that was in the you know early 2000s. Um, so my candidate, Lib Mitchell, came back into the Senate uh, when she became majority leader of the Senate. Um, I went to work for her as chief of staff. And then when she became Senate president, I went to work for her as chief of staff at the Senate president's office. And she is still, as far as I know, the only woman who's been both Speaker of the House and President of the Senate in the United States. So, wow. you know, having a mentor who um, has that kind of leadership capacity um, and ability, it, uh, especially uh, a woman was really important to me and really opened doors about how women can lead um, and do lead in, in a way that's very collaborative. Um, and I think I've brought that effort to the broadband work that I've been doing. Um, I sort of started in broadband uh, as a small business advocate over in the Secretary of State's office when a uh, small internet service provider came to me and said, I want to expand my business, and I can't because we have issues with poll attachment. We have issues with no funding, um, and so I began to became became involved in that uh, in the process and uh, started a group called the Maine Broadband Coalition with a bunch of other people 
state. It was a really, it is a really collaborative effort. So who are, communities. who is in that commission, that kind of group? I'm wondering who comes together, you know, not yep. just comes to Washington and lobbies for change, but people who come together locally and say, we want to connect more people in our state. What does that coalition look like? So it is a variety, a wide variety of people from across the state. It is uh, small businesses. It is Internet service providers. It is uh, town managers. It is town selectmen. Um, it is frustrated individuals who can't get connected. Um, it's a whole smattering of people. And I think the uh, what the Main Broadband Coalition does is provides for them the first time that we've had a consumer voice advocating for stuff at the legislature, which I think is really, really important that legislators hear not just from the, you know, big telecom companies and the big cable companies, but actually people from their community who are organized around the idea about how important connectivity is to their community. Um, and I think that's one of the things that has made Maine have extensive amount of momentum, not just the broadband coalition, but this people coming together in their communities to have conversations about why this is important to us and why it's important to our community. You know, I often say in, in Maine that, you know, survival for many of Maine communities is optional. There's no guarantee that many rural Maine communities will, will survive. And so for communities to come together and sort of figure out that broadband is the key piece of infrastructure for them to retain uh, their their young people, for them to attract new people, to keep people in their homes as they age and as they, you know, have disabilities, and to have access to, uh, to for small businesses and to start companies, and actually to work for other companies that aren't even in state. It's a very gratifying thing to see people sort of come together in their community and figure out that they really want to get connected because they want their community to thrive. Yes. Yeah, so how about this? You mentioned, you know, rural Maine. I'd, I'd love it if you talk a little bit more about the state, what broadband looks like. And, you know, for people who perhaps have never been to Maine before, what the landscape is like and what that means for broadband deployment. So we are uh, the most rural state in the country. We are uh, the least dense population east of the Mississippi. And we are the oldest state in the nation. Um, so that's you know, a lot of superlatives. That's, that's a, lot a lot of superlatives. superlatives. <laughs> and you know, for broadband, the big things are distance and density, and we have a lot of distance and not a lot of density. So it makes it really expensive to to expand broadband to people's communities. Um, Maine is a variety, a wide variety of geographic. So we have big mountains that run through the middle of it. Our line is rocky and steep and full of lots of peninsulas and islands. And beautiful. Um, and also, we're just yeah, going to point that out. Yeah, it is gorgeous. Um, so, you know, you drive down a long road to the end of a peninsula, and there's a little village there that, because they have a little harbor, um, you've been, people, lobster out of there, they fish out of there, so there's a community as a result of that. But for broadband, the connectivity is you have to go down that long road, and then when you get to the end, there's nothing there. It's not like you can loop back and get somebody else because you're looking at the ocean. So that's a, that. those are all significant problems for us. We also have um, about 15 uh, unbridged islands in Maine. And some of those are 15 miles off the coast. Some of them are 10 miles off the coast. So it's a challenge to make sure those communities have some level of connectivity because, you know, if you are 15 miles off the coast of Maine um, and you're connected by a ferry service that runs three or four times a day, 
um, in the winter it's like two times a day. Um, you need access to telehealth. You need access to, to you know, the global economy for a whole variety of things. Um, and so that those are those are significant challenges to how we uh, bring broadband to every corner of Maine. It's like if you can figure it out in Maine, you're going to be able to figure it out everywhere. I think so. I really think so. So give me some examples of some solutions you're seeing in different areas of Maine, you know, from the rocky coast to the inland to the mountains. What are the things that you're finding are working? So um, I really, we started about, the Connect Connect Maine Authority started about uh, 2015 doing what we call community planning grants. So we gave communities grants to really begin to talk about how they were doing broadband. And some of the grants are quite big areas. So all of Oxford and all of Franklin County, these are big counties in the western part of the state, very rural, very mountainous. And those communities over the last three or four years have begun to pull together plans for um, for connectivity and those plans vary based on the based on the community because you know you've seen one rural community, you've seen one rural community, and so they have developed plans that that um, could, if funded, help help connect many many parts of these very rural areas. Um, and the, and so that's been a, a success. The, the holdup we have right now for those kinds of community is funding. They're very poor communities. They're not. Uh, well connected by roads, so it, it's the funding is a significant piece. So, in that um, funding, are you looking mm-hmm. at municipal-based projects, or are you looking at ones that involve extending the reach of private companies that might have service in adjacent areas or cooperatives? Usually, yeah. Well, you know, cooperatives are not in Maine's DNA. I wish they were, but we're not. We don't really have uh, big cooperatives here. We're not like the Midwest. Uh, we just don't don't have them. Um, and so we are a very community. We have 474 towns in Maine. We are a very. We most of them have town meetings. Almost all of them have town meetings it's every very New year England. to vote on the budget. Yeah. Very New England. Very New England, very independent, and so some of these towns are having a municipal solution. Most of them, um, it's a big lift. You know, most of these communities uh, buying a fire truck at three hundred thousand dollars is a significant investment. So, investing a couple million dollars in a broadband network is a lot, yeah. and so um, they're trying to figure out how much, if, if the community can be part of it, and a private provider can be part of it, and maybe we can get some federal funds and maybe a little state funding. So it's really a patchwork of funding um, that varies community to community about how it's going to happen. So do you have um, some success stories that you could share? We do. We have actually, uh, there's a couple different ones. One is uh, an island off the coast of Maine called Isleboro who, you know, they, I always say they have a bit of a different property tax base than many other communities in Maine because there's rich people who some are there. Um, and I, quite frankly, Owlsboro could have gone to some of these rich people and say, hey, help us connect up. But they decided not to do that. Instead, they went, they spent about two years going to the sewing circle, going to the transfer station, going to PTA meetings, hanging out at the ferry station, you know, talking to everyone in town about the importance of connectivity because Islesboro realized it wasn't just connecting people. People had to learn how to use it, and that was where the real benefit came in. And so that community voted to build their own network, 
Um, they had contracted out to a small provider to run it and to maintain it. And they also voted to um, underwrite part of the cost of subscriber services. So on Islesboro, you can get a gig service for $380 a year. Oh and that goodness. was intentional in their part. All right, so that's going to mean that this island off the coast of Maine has better services available than in some of our much more urban locations across the yes. country. Yes, that is true. And the same is true in uh, another two other uh, towns in the far down east Maine, Callis and Baileyville. Uh, again, two very rural towns on the Canadian border up in Washington County. Um, they actually had pretty good connectivity, um, but they realized it wasn't enough. And um, so they... Uh, first worked with the existing providers to see if they would expand, and these existing providers really didn't express an interest in providing the same kind of service that the communities were looking for. So both communities put up about a million and a half apiece. They created a broadband utility district. Um, they built out a uh, uh, fiber network for 87 miles of fiber to those two communities. They just let it two weeks ago. Um, they're hoping to get open access, but right now they have one provider who's providing on it. Um, and they went actually to a bank and used the Community Reinvestment Act uh, to get a low-interest loan to fund it with the community funding being sort of the, the the loan guarantee, shall we say, to the bank that if this doesn't meet projections, um, then the, the towns will come in and help support the loan payback. So there's two different very specific examples of uh, communities that are pretty rural um, that have picked it up and done it on their own. Did those communities have some existing industry or hospital facility or something that they were, you know, were f something that was front of mind and center in ensuring that they got the connectivity they need, or was it just households coming together and saying, for us to thrive in the future, we're going to need this infrastructure? On Islesboro, it was households coming. It was the community coming together. Because really, if you live on one of the 15 inhabited islands, you know that um, your your survival really, I mean, you could, if you lose population, if you lose your schools, you've lost your island. You've lost your your year-round population. In Callis and Baileyville, Baileyville does have a big paper plant. Um, Callis has a hospital, but it's in bankruptcy right now. Um, so they were not the major forces. I mean, I think the paper plant was a bit of a force because they, um, you know, they employ uh, engineers who. They need to have 24-7 access to that plant. So if it goes down, they're able to fix whatever's gone wrong. And um, that doesn't work if you live out, way outside of town and um, you, you, have to, you have to drive in on the roads, which are not great, in the middle of winter to fix something that you could have fixed online. So they had a real interest in making sure some of their employees were connected um, as well as the community. But really, it was driven by the community. It wasn't really driven by... Um, the interest of the paper company or certainly the interest of the hospital. And so does the Connect Maine Authority just focus on getting these plans for deployment, or do you also think about the other side of the coin, which is affordability? We have not. Um, so our purpose, we try to expand uh, broadband into areas that are unserved. We define unserved as 25.3. Um, That's 25 megabits should, yeah, uh, down, down and 3 uh, megabits and three up. up. Right. And um, I'd love to revise that so it would be higher. So would I. I, I think actually you know, I, we really need to start thinking about that, not just in rural America, but in urban America, because that yeah. asymmetry we see 
is about consumption, like so much more coming at us. It's not about what we can right. create. And right. I would like to change that because I think there's a lot of genius in this country that given faster speeds could um, create a lot more out there and put out a lot yeah. more data and be, you know, we could have communities that could thrive with more economic intelligence about the work that they do. So Connectme has a build standard of X over 10. You've got to have 10 up. Um, and how I think of it is the down speed is how the world talks to Maine. The up speed is how Maine talks to the world. So oh, for economic like purposes, that. for That's community perfect. purposes, the up speed is what's really, really important. Because if, every, if we spend a billion dollars in Maine and connect everybody and all we do is watch Netflix, we haven't accomplished what we really need to. We really, that up speed is what drives, it drives the technology and it drives economic development. And, you know, a lot of the federal programs, the USDA Reconnect program, the FCC programs, the definition of 10-1 and the definition that 10-1 is adequate for rural America, because rural America is and can be an economic driver, but it has to have connectivity and it has to have a fast up speed. So um, we haven't looked as much about um, co- about cost um, as we should have when we, as we should, um, and part of the problem, I think there's no sort of definition about what is affordable in this, uh, anywhere in the country. Um, I know Broadband USA just came out with some data that shows that Maine, of course, is at the top of the heap again with uh, 2% of our population um, having access to broadband that costs less than $60 a month. And that's bad. That's bad that we are a poor state and that we, uh, our, our connectivity is so expensive. Um, you know, we try to, when, when, uh, when ISPs and communities come in for uh, infrastructure grants, one of the things we do look at is the cost of service. You know, what are they charging for this service? And we like to make sure that they are in some level of affordability, which is usually under 60 bucks for a basic service. Sometimes it's under, under 40 bucks for a basic service. But that's one of the things we do look at when we judge um, an application is what are they actually going to charge for this service? Yeah. Do you see real gaps in what consumer fees are across the state? Yeah, it's sort of surprising. I mean, I think, um, you know, like many states across the country, uh, we don't have a lot of competition. So you really have to take the person who's going by your house. So we do see a variety of costs, but they're not, in, it's not inexpensive. You know, some of the grants we've provided, um, Sherman, Maine, which is, you know, in the middle of nowhere, up almost in Arusta County. Uh, we provided a, a grant to a local small ISP up there, and you can get a gig service in, in Sherman for forty nine ninety nine a month. So that's the when you're when the when the state or federal help underwrite this, that's the kind of service that you can get. We hope. Yeah, and then do you see um, big adoption rates in these little towns when they wind up finally getting service? Does everyone jump on board? What we have found so far is, yes, Islesboro, um, they have a 90% take rate. Whoa. Now, I mean, remember, it's affordable. It's 380 a year. That is still, that must be. they have a 90% be, take rate. That must be um, higher than some of our urban centers. Yeah. Um, and what we find is that when uh, some of our small providers begin to bring uh, connectivity to areas, real connectivity to areas that have not had it before or have had really bad service before, people do jump on board and take it. So across the board, what have you found as the director of Connect Maine's authority that you think other states could replicate? In other words, what are you doing well that we should be copying across the country? Well, 
Um, I actually do a lot of looking at what other states are doing, too. Um, And many states now have these planning grants in place where they help communities figure out why is it they want broadband? What is their current connectivity now? Could the provider that's there now be willing to upgrade the service and bring the service to more people? What do they want for their community? You know, what is that? What are the goals for their community for economic development, for community development? Those I think are really critical because what we have found is they actually provide like sticky tape for for a provider to actually come in and grab onto. So, you know, if we we have a community, a provider who wants to come into a rural community and they're kind of walking around the street saying, hey, anybody want broadband? Anybody want broadband? It's so much easier and so much more efficient for a community to pull that stuff together on their own because they know each other. And then to come to a provider and say, hey, can you come in and talk to us about what kind of service you can provide? That, I think, is a critical element. It puts the power of deciding what you want and what you're going to get into the hands of the consumer, which is really important. I love that you called it sticky tape. That's such a visual. I get it, the idea that you've created this demand and you're going to figure out how to come and meet it and match it. That makes so much sense. Yeah. So, so I, there's a, there's a bunch of communities, a bunch of states across the country that are now doing that. I um, mean, I think we all can learn from each other. I spend you know a lot of time looking at what other people are putting up for their for their community assistance and and you know tra- trying to figure out how we can continually improve ours so it's a little easier for communities to undertake this process. Yeah. I like how you said though that you look around the country and look at what other states are doing because there is so much opportunity to learn from each other. and um, right. But putting this premium on early planning you described makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Now, It's really helpful. Before I'm going to let you go, I have a few questions I want to ask all sorts of broadband authorities and people like you, and I do them regularly at the end of our little chat. So it's a quick take on how you use the Internet. <laughs> so sitting there in Maine... Maybe this is when you were doing Girl Scouts and Cookies or campaigns. Maybe it's been uh, in another place or time. But what was the first thing you recall doing on the Internet? It actually was when I was working for the Girl Scouts. I um, thought so. The... I had a feeling it was going to come back to cookies. Yeah. It, well, it was in the early, uh, in the mid-90s. Um, I worked from home because our office, I live in, in uh, Kennebec County, and our office was in uh, South Portland. And so um, I used to connect via modem um, and do database entry, some database entry uh to the council, and I used to, I mean, I used to call up at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon and say, is anybody on the computer, is anybody on the phone, and they'd, you know, put, put the phone on the modem and hook up the one computer, and then I'd call in and, and enter data. So that was sort of my first, oh first my use gosh. of the Internet. I can hear the noise. That was definitely yeah. a moment in time. So, okay, <laughs> so now let's get super mundane. What was the last thing that you did online or with the Internet? You know, um, I actually, uh, I have this thing that I do when I'm on calls. Um, I watch live animal cams. On, on, so right now I'm watching a, a, a live cam up from Africa, um, looking for it. There's hippos in the pond. Oh, my gosh. Um, I have this vision of you in, like, snowy Maine watching animals, like, cross grassland in Africa right now. Yeah. And, you know, one of my favorite sites, which is now not, it's not up this time of day anyways, is actually... Uh, Bears in uh, south southwestern Alaska um, 
uh, fishing for salmon. It's, okay, it's I just say it's it's perfect. It's perfect conference call. It's a calming perfect. thing to just watch animals out in the wild while you're doing yeah. some digital activity. I, yeah. You know that makes a certain amount of sense to me. Yeah. Um, all right. So big big picture. What do you think the future of the internet and digital life should look like? I think everybody needs to be connected at at least a gig. I don't know how we get there, but I think that's what it needs to be. I actually think that who owns the Internet is really, really important. A lot of times I compare this to highways versus railroads. And in Maine, at least, railroads are owned by private people. You have to pay a tariff to get on it. You often have to pay a tariff to cross it. Um, They're not well-maintained. They're a little bit like old copper networks. Um, Whereas the highway, everybody can get on essentially at the same rate. If you use it more, you pay more, but everybody has the same access to that same infrastructure. And I really think we need to think about the Internet in that way. It is such a critical piece of how people are going to interact with each other that it's really important that no matter where you are and who you are, you have the same access to that infrastructure. Um, and I think, I don't know as we know what digital life is going to do, but I think it's going to improve health care. It's certainly going to improve education. It's going to improve um, entrepreneur activity, especially in rural parts of the country. It's going to have a significant impact on climate change. So I think there's huge opportunity for us. I think it's a really exciting time to be trying to figure out how to connect rural communities. Um, and I'm really excited to be part of that process here in Maine. Oh, here, here. I like the sound of that. Now, where can folks follow you to keep up with the good work that you're doing with the Connect Main Authority? So I'm on uh, Twitter, and I think it's... Uh well, they can just search Connect Maine on Twitter. I don't actually know my Twitter handle. You know. Oh, I love that. You're the um, first person who's ever said that to me, but that's terrific. <laughs> that's terrific. And I'm uh, personally, I'm uh, Peggy Schaefer at, uh, on Twitter. Connect Me is also on Facebook. We don't do that much on Facebook. Um, and we uh, have a website, maine.gov, slash home. That's our homepage. Oh, sounds good. Well, I want to thank you, Peggy, for the work that you're doing in Maine, on the ground. You know, we talk a lot about these issues in Washington, but there is so much good work being done at the state level. And uh, I'm so pleased that you would chat with us about it today. So thank you so much. I want to thank you for your continued advocacy. It's really important to have a voice like yours um, at the federal level because there's not enough of them, especially in positions like yours. And I think it's really, really important, the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. And thanks for listening. Have a good day.